835 on a KDLM Thursday. Welcome into HodgePodge on this July 30th. I'm Joel Ketke. As always, appreciate you spending a little bit of your Thursday morning with us here on a HodgePodge. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about today, and we welcome back to the program. Representative Paul Marquardt joins us this morning. Good morning, Paul. Well, good morning, Joel. Nice to be with you, as always. It's good to have you back. Obviously, a timely uh, interview today as we talk about what's going on later on today. Let's uh, lead into this, Paul. Uh, 2 o'clock today, Governor Walls revealing his plans for the new school year with the COVID-19 pandemic. Paul, we've talked about this before, a couple of options being presented with uh, back in face with classes, some kind of a hybrid, some in and out of classes. Paul, uh, what are you expecting the governor to uh, unveil this afternoon? This is the kind of the big one a lot of folks have been waiting for, and I know students and parents and school officials are, are waiting for this, but I I think what Governor Walls is going to do is that he's going to lay out the standards uh, for the schools and operating in this COVID-19 time and then give the schools the flexibility to work that out on their own, which I think is the right approach. So, um, you know, there's going to be different strategies, different scenarios, but basically the outcomes will be the same, and that is make sure you keep our students safe, our staff safe, and our community safe. And so uh, I know Governor Walls has talked about that, you know, his goal is to get students back into the classroom. And he and I talked about this, so it's probably now, it was, it was in probably the end of June, so it's been about a month now. And, you know, what I had mentioned is, you know, you know, set out the parameters that you want schools to follow to keep, you know, everyone safe, but allow the districts the flexibility to be able to implement that in each of their areas because, you know, each school district is going to do it a little differently. The situation on COVID-19 and the impact on districts and in their counties are all a little bit different. So I, uh, it's good to see. I think this is the approach the governor is going to use. And I think you're going to see something uh, with maybe a hybrid approach and allowing, you know, districts to say, hey, you know, 50% occupancy, six-foot social distancing. But I know, I know our school districts in the area have already been working on this and, you know, what would be a scenario that would work in their district. So uh, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be complex. Uh, but, you know, I'm hoping – uh, that we can get students back into the classroom in some way, shape, or form. That is where the best learning takes place. Paul, there's some concern that uh, with this announcement today that the governor may have a little different approach than with the mask mandate. Of course, the mask mandate was a statewide thing, and now we're hoping that the back-to-school programs can maybe be implemented within each community or within each school district, which brings us to question number two uh, with the mask mandate. A lot of confusion, Paul, about whether or not this is a law. Obviously, our local police departments uh, talking about uh, not trying to enforce it, just asking people to follow what the governor's put in place. But as you're out and about, and we're out and about in our communities, some people wearing masks, some people not wearing masks. Paul, uh, what's... What is what is the legal ramifications as far as uh, the mandate for mask wearing in public? Well, yes, and let's go back to the first part because I do think uh, with the opening of schools, I think part of that may be that students, at least over a certain age, and staff will need to wear masks. I, I think that may very well be part of that. And so, you know, generally, uh, you know, I think no one 
really, you know, would wish that we would be in this situation where we'd be having to wear masks and it'd be nice if we could do it regionally. But I do think that if we're going to keep our businesses open and if we're going to get our students back into the classroom here in a month, I think that's probably going to be uh, one of those necessary evils, if you will. I mean, I just think it's going to be part of this. And because what we're seeing is, even in the state of Minnesota, but a lot of states around the nation, is things are starting to ramp up. And the last thing I want to see is where we have to close businesses back down again. That we, we just cannot take that in our economy. Or that we you know, continue with distance learning and there's not even an option to go back into the school with our students. We just we can't get there. So if wearing masks and mandating masks is part of that, uh, I think that's going to have to be it. Now, as far as the force of law, I mean, these executive orders uh, do have, uh, I think it's a misdemeanor. There is a penalty. But, you know, and the governor has always said that, is that this isn't meant to be punitive as far as who, who we can catch. It's more educating and trying to do this. And, you know, I noticed the last few days as I've been in businesses, it's almost been 100% compliance. I haven't seen any problems. And we know that almost all of the big businesses and retailers were already requiring it even before uh, this mass mandate. And you saw that, and you saw about half the states in the union were requiring it. So you could kind of see this coming, and uh, hopefully – uh, you know, this is the reason this is mandated is hopefully this is going to um, prevent kind of these surges that a lot of states are seeing and a lot of people are expecting because if that occurs, boy, I, I just hope um, we don't have to dial back on our opening of businesses or not let kids back into the schools. Paul, as I took a look at the numbers this morning, uh, confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of Minnesota since March, 52,947, 1,589 deaths here in the state of Minnesota. You talked about some of the other states across the country that uh, kind of opened up early and things look good, and now they're seeing a resurgence, an uptick in cases and in reported cases. Uh, Paul, uh, again, as, as we look at uh, that fine line between Americans and Minnesotans' freedoms and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, this is a divisive issue. I mean, if you look on any uh, social media platform and somebody makes a comment about masks, uh, 50% of the people say, ah, I'm going to do what I want. I don't have to follow the governor's order. I don't feel concerned. The other 50% are saying, hey, you are infringing on my right to go out in public because you're not wearing a mask and I don't want you to give me COVID-19. So this is a real device, a desi- divisive issue here in Minnesota and nationwide. Well, absolutely. And, you know, any time you're involving with people's rights, uh, that's always going to be a concern. Uh, I think, and you hear both sides of this, but I think for the most part, the evidence will show that wearing masks, especially if you've got two people kind of next to each other and both wearing masks, really diminishes the chances of spreading COVID-19. And uh, you know, when you when you talk about we talked about rights before and so forth, and it was uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, the famous Supreme Court justice, who said the right to swing your fist ends where the other man's nose begins. So, I mean, no rights are unlimited. You know, I the freedom of speech, but I can't slander someone, say something false about someone. You know, the freedom of press, you can't libel somebody. I, I can't yell 
by, you know, fire in a crowded movie theater if there isn't one. So uh, it's always a balancing, uh, you know, and here it's public health that we're talking about. But to me, it's more than even public health, because I think, and that's why our businesses, all of our major businesses came in and actually wanted Governor Walz to do this. And because they know they want to stay open, they need the economy. I mean, we saw the latest report, what the economy shrank 33% in the last quarter. That's an all-time record uh, drop. We we simply can't have that again. And, and as I'd say, I wish we didn't have to do a mask mandate. Um, you know, I, I put on a mask like others. I'd rather not have the mask on. But I also realize that if, and I think this is going to be the case, if this can help keep the surge from occurring, if it can keep our businesses open, if it can keep our kids into the schools in the fall, uh, I think it's something we have to be doing. Paula, final question before we go to break. Um, and this is, a, again, a, fresh, a question about freedom, and I'm going to just pose this question to you. Do we as Americans have too much freedom? And what I mean by that is, is we are so used to being able to do whatever we want uh, within the law. And now the government and the state is saying, hey, whoa, we're, we're trying to help. And people feel, wow, you're infringing on my rights. So when I ask that and say that question, do we have too much freedom? I mean, have we been allowed too much freedom for so long? And now the government's kind of pulling the reins in a little bit. Uh, we feel somewhat threatened as, as Americans and Minnesotans. I don't think we have too many freedoms, but I do think we get comfortable with them, as we should. And so when there is a situation like this, yes, there there certainly is uh, kind of a blowback, if you will, because, you know, people, uh, you know, get comfortable with things. But, you know, we, you know, our, you know, we've talked about this before. I mean, in our history, you know, World War II, we did certain things. Uh, after 9-11, we did certain things that curtailed our rights from what we had before, just kind of to meet the times and really dealing with public safety or world or national safety. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think we have too many freedoms. That's what the United States is built upon. Uh, but uh, we get pretty used to them. Um, and then when we are restricted a bit, it it impacts people, no doubt about it. Paul, you made a great point. Uh, after 9-11, a lot of things changed. Security changed, TSA changed, and the public was like, hey, we're all for it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an inconvenience. Yes, we kind of feel like we're maybe being infringed upon, but we want the country to be safe. Now, here we are in 2020. We've got this COVID-19 pandemic, and while the public still wants to be safe, it seems like a little more people are concerned about uh, their rights as far as what the government should do or shouldn't do. And I'm just going to ask you this. Do you think it has to do with not only the time frame difference, but maybe a little more uh, younger people involved in government and politics today than when 9-11 happened? You know, that's a great question, Joel. I hadn't really thought about that. I, You know, um, you know, this COVID-19 started in about mid-March. And early on, of course, Governor Walls had the stay-at-home orders. And, you know, everyone uh, recognized that. And I think everything, you know, I think everyone really felt good about all of that. As kind of the numbers changed and they didn't come in as bad as we had thought originally, uh, I think that had to do with something with people kind of thinking twice about, well, do we need to do all these things and that it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as all the projections. So I think kind of that perception and kind of what would end up kind of the reality of things uh, probably has led to a little bit of this. And 
And, you know, I've been one. I've actually, you know, voted against the extension of the governor's powers. And it's because early on when we had to build up capacities, we were in an emergency. And the governor, I thought, had good leadership in in getting our ICUs and our personal protection equipment and ventilators and testing to where they had to go. But I don't think we're in that emergency situation right now. And I do think the legislature should have more involvement in that. And I think that's where a lot of people you know, see things. But the mask mandate, uh, you know, I've had conversations with a lot of people, but I will tell you uh, that I probably have gotten more comments on uh, in support than actually in opposition, which kind of surprised me a little bit. We're talking with Representative Paul Marquardt with us this morning. We're going to take a break, come back with more on the HodgePodge. When we come back, we're going to talk about police reform. We're also going to talk about uh, Becker County's care funding. Stick around. HodgePodge Part 2 coming up. We are back here in a Thursday edition of HodgePodge. Representative Paul Marquardt joins us on the phone this morning. Good morning again, Paul. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Paul, a couple other topics we want to get to here before we're out of time. Uh, one, obviously, and one we talked about before and something that people are certainly keeping an eye on. Now, let's talk a little bit about police reform. You know, after the George Floyd um, death in Minneapolis in late May, uh, there's a lot of efforts to look at uh, law enforcement and police reform and all those type of things. And when that occurred and when people started talking about that, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure that did not happen was that, you know, the four officers who were involved with the death of George Floyd uh, did not represent the excellent work that law enforcement does around the state and in our area. And so as I was looking at the bills come through, I was saying, hey, this can't be something that we're doing it just because it would apply to Minneapolis or it's a one-size-fits-all and those type of things. So the initial bill that came out in the June special session on police reform, I voted against because it had some things in there that I just absolutely could not support. And one was where if there was a police-related death, all of the prosecutions would occur through the attorney general's office. And there's no way... We can allow rural cases to be decided through a lens of the metropolitan Minneapolis area. So that was in that bill, and I couldn't support that. Another one was some changes to the deadly force. And this is where a police officer is in a situation, and it's statute 609, where they can use deadly force if they feel they or someone else's life is in danger or substantial bodily harm. And what I was afraid of is that this would create some indecision in the minds of a police officer as to whether or not they could use that deadly force. And that just a fraction of a section section or a, a second could cost them their lives. So that also was not in there. And so the final compromise that occurred uh, was between a Republican Senate and a Democratic House and the governor, and it passed pretty overwhelmingly. It was like 102 to 29 in the House and 60 to 7 in the Senate. But Basically, what it does, all those things I just mentioned were out of the bill, and it just I, I think it will actually strengthen law enforcement in terms of providing more training and kind of clarification of an officer's duty. So it involves some training for mental health, for crisis intervention, for autism. Uh, it also the, provided some peer counseling. Uh, provided funding for this training, which will be important for law enforcement officers. 
It did ban chokeholds uh, unless the life of the officer is at stake uh, there. It also said that, uh, let's say you're on the scene of a crime, other officers are required to intervene if they see another officer doing something that uh, should not be done. So uh, also it did some things where, I mean, you had the police officer in Minneapolis who I think had like 23 violations or things in his record. That will not happen anymore also according to this. So I think overall it was a good compromise. It will, you know, actually I think strengthen the officer's ability to do their jobs uh, and keep our community safe. But, you know, it wasn't just a one-size-fits-all. It wasn't something that just kind of, you know, pertained to Minneapolis and so the rest of the state had to do that. Uh, it actually, I thought, was a good compromise. And the, the Minnesota Chiefs Association and the Sheriff's Association and the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association were all in support of the bill. So I thought it was a good compromise in the end. Paul, last time we talked, uh, we were talking about uh, the CARES funding, and there is some uh, fairly large money there for Becker County. Well, I, I tell you what, I really have to commend uh, the Becker County and their officials because they received $4.2 million in CARES funding, and I see that they're looking at uh, spending about a million dollars all businesses impacted by COVID-19. And when we were going through the legislation, uh, we were saying, you know, a minimum should be about 10% of whatever a county receives. And here, uh, Becker County is, you know, spending a quarter of their funding uh, to help businesses. And that's one of the purposes of the CARES funding was to help businesses impacted by COVID-19. Either they had to be shut down or they saw they're seeing less customers than uh, than the year before. And so, uh, again, this is great. Uh, I commend uh, the Becker County and its officials for moving in that direction and really looking at uh, how we can help small businesses. And what's really neat about this is that each county and city, and I know also the city of Detroit Lakes is looking at doing this too. I've talked to officials there. Uh, what's nice is you can customize uh, your own program. So this isn't a state program. This is a county program, a city program, and you can customize it and really get to those businesses that also might have fallen through the cracks and not received other type of state or federal help. So um, just really, really good deal, and, and that's uh, a big part of that CARES funding. Paul, final question before I let you go. Um, obviously, for those who have been in, impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic from a job standpoint, uh, unemployment benefits uh, are available, obviously, through the state of Minnesota. But the additional bonus money that the government had kicked in ended here in July. Uh, any thoughts on what might be going on nationally as far as will they refund something like that or reappropriate uh, something like that going forward here for August and September? Yeah, I know the $600 that the federal government tacked on to unemployment insurance ends this week. Uh, I know the latest stimulus bill is looking at not 600 but something less than that. And I, I think I've maybe seen $200. Mm -hmm. So it, it's tough to say what the federal government will do yet, but I think in all certainty it's going to be less than that $600 that uh, you're seeing right now. 
And I did have one more question for you, Paul. Uh, we talked about this briefly off air. Uh, the yesterday's announcement in Minneapolis about uh, bars. I think there's some confusion. Uh, people thought the idea was that the bars were being closed down again. What they really were doing, if I understood this correctly, is they're not allowing patrons to actually walk up to the bar to get a drink, right. but they can still go in and a bar or restaurant, but they have to sit at his table. Is that correct? Yes, that's my understanding exactly, Joel, as they can be at the tables, but you can't go up to the bar. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, the mayor has uh, declared that one. So we'll see how that turns out. Takes away the old adage, uh, belly up to the bar, (laughs) Paul. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to be able to belly up to the bar. That's good. No, that's fine. Uh, Paul, anything else you want to get out of the public as long as we have you here? Uh, Anything else you want to let folks know about? Well, I mean, it's, again, you know, there's been a lot that has been asked of residents during this COVID-19, and, uh, you know, there's there's no right or wrong, and it's very difficult. And, you know, the next big step is going to be uh, into our schools, and I will tell you, our school officials are going to have some very challenging and complex tasks because they're going to have to, you know, put plans together uh, that are going to try to keep students and staff and community safe and that's not going to be easy so kind of the key is folks i think have to be willing to be flexible and knowing that what the schools are going to do the strategy might have to change as the year goes on as you know COVID 19 whichever direction it goes so i think it's just kind of when it comes to schools folks are going to have to know there's going to have to be some flexibility and adjustment because it's not going to be easy to kind of implement a plan it just isn't Paul, as always, we appreciate your time with us. Every uh, opportunity here on HodgePodge, always good information. And uh, for folks who want to contact you, Paul, and maybe uh, chat with you about some of the issues and concerns that they have, how can folks get in touch with you? You know, the best way is on email, which is um, rep.paul.markwart at house.mn, or you can just go to the Minnesota House of Representative website and go to members. And uh, folks can also... Call my cell phone number. I'll give it right now. It's 701-371-1949. So 701-371-1949. Feel free to give me a call. I, I just, um, I'm, I'm always on my cell phone. I'm always on my computer. So <laughs> easy way to get a hold of me. Sounds good, Paul. Appreciate your time with us here on HodgePodge. Stay safe, social distance, and we'll talk again soon. Joel, thanks so much. Nice to be with you today. All right. Thank you, Paul. That is a Representative Paul Marquardt with us again here this morning on HodgePodge. And uh, that is a wrap for today of HodgePodge. Coming up tomorrow on a HodgePodge Friday, uh, New York Mills has got Summerfest coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I believe Kim Staffy is going to join us in the studio tomorrow at about 8.35. Stick around. Coming up next hour as we get ready for the KDLM Sports Wrap. Uh, if you didn't catch this message yesterday, the MIAC announced it will be postponing competition in fall sports due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're going to talk this morning uh, on, uh, on the Sports Wrap. We're going to actually uh, have the commissioner of the league, Dan McCain, is going to join us this morning at about 9.35. That's coming up on the KDLM Sports Wrap later on next hour. You are tuned to the station you can count on. AM 1340, KDLM Detroit Lakes, and FM 93.1 K2CC6A. Sunshine in 72, a little after 9 o'clock.